Section 26 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 4. Section 26. Selected Excerpts by Beaumarchais. Beaumarchais, 1732-1799, by Branda Matthews. Pierre-Augustin Caron was born in Paris, January 24, 1732. He was the son of a watchmaker and learned his father's trade. He invented a new escapement and was allowed to call himself clockmaker to the king, Louis XV. At twenty-four he married a widow and took the name of Beaumarchais from a small fief belonging to her. Within a year his wife died. Being a fine musician, he was appointed instructor of the king's daughters and he was quick to turn to good account the influence thus acquired. In 1764 he made a sudden trip to Spain to vindicate a sister of his who had been betrothed to a man called Clavijo and whom this Spaniard had refused to marry. He succeeded in his mission, and his own brilliant account of this characteristic episode in his career suggested to Goethe the play of Clavigo. Beaumarchais himself brought back from Madrid a liking for things Spanish and a knowledge of Iberian customs and character. He had been a watchmaker, a musician, a court official, a speculator, and it was only when he was thirty-five that he turned dramatist. Various French authors, Diderot especially, weary of confinement to tragedy and comedy, the only two forms then admitted on the French stage, were seeking a new dramatic formula in which they might treat pathetic situations of modern life, and it is due largely to their efforts that the modern play or drama, the story of everyday existence, has been evolved. The first dramatic attempt of Beaumarchais was a drama called Eugénie, acted at the Théâtre Français in 1767, and succeeding just enough to encourage him to try again. The second, The Two Friends, acted in 1770, was a frank failure. For the pathetic, Beaumarchais had little aptitude, and these two serious efforts were of use to him only in so far as their performance may have helped him to master the many technical difficulties of the theatre. Beaumarchais had married a second time in 1768, and he had been engaged in various speculations with the financier Paris Duvernay. In 1770 his wife died, and so did his associate, and he found himself soon involved in lawsuits, into the details of which it is needless to go, but in the course of which he published a series of memoirs or statements of his case for the public at large. These memoirs are among the most vigorous of all polemical writings. They were very clever and very witty, they were vivacious and audacious, they were unfailingly interesting, and they were read as eagerly as the letters of Junius. Personal at first, the suits soon became political, and part of the public approval given to the attack of Beaumarchais on judicial injustice was due no doubt to the general discontent with the existing order in France. His daring conduct of his own cause made him a personality. He was entrusted with one secret mission by Louis XV and when Louis the Sixteenth came to the throne, he managed to get him again employed confidentially. Not long after his two attempts at the serious drama, he had tried to turn to account his musical faculty by writing both the book and the score of a comic opera, which had, however, been rejected by the Comédie Italienne, the predecessor of the present opéra comique. After a while, Beaumarchais cut out his music and worked over his plot into a five-act comedy in prose, The Barber of Seville, 
it was produced by the théâtre français in seventeen seventy five and like the contemporary rivals of sheridan the one english author with whom beaumarchais must always be compared it was a failure on the first night and a lasting success after the author had reduced it and rearranged it the barber of seville was like the gil blas of lesage in that while it was seemingly spanish in its scenes it was in reality essentially french it contained one of the strongest characters in literature figaro a reincarnation of the intriguing servant of menander and plautus and moliere simple in plot ingenious in incident brisk in dialogue broadly effective in character drawing the barber of seville is the most famous french comedy of the eighteenth century with the single exception of its successor from the same pen which appeared nine years later during those years beaumarchais was not idle like defoe he was always devising projects for money-making a few months after the barber of seville had been acted the american revolution began and beaumarchais was a chief agent in supplying the americans with arms ammunition and supplies he had a cruiser of his own le fier rodrigue which was in destin's fleet when the independence of the united states was recognized at last beaumarchais had a pecuniary claim against the young nation which long remained unsettled not content with making war on his own account almost beaumarchais also undertook the immense task of publishing a complete edition of voltaire he also prepared a sequel to the barber in which figaro should be even more important and should serve as a mouthpiece for declamatory criticism of the social order but his marriage of figaro was so full of the revolutionary ferment that its performance was forbidden following the example of moliere under the similar interdiction of tartuffe beaumarchais was untiring in arousing interest in his unacted play reading it himself in the houses of the great finally it was authorized and when the first performance took place at the théâtre français in seventeen eighty four the crush to see it was so great that three persons were stifled to death the new comedy was as amusing and as adroit as its predecessor and the hits at the times were sharper and swifter and more frequent how demoralized society was then may be gauged by the fact that this disintegrating satire was soon acted by the amateurs of the court a chief character being impersonated by marie antoinette herself the career of beaumarchais reached its climax with the production of the second of the figaro plays afterward he wrote the libretto for an opera tarare produced with salieri's music in seventeen eighty seven the year before he had married for the third time in a heavy play called the guilty mother acted with slight success in seventeen ninety he brought in figaro yet once more during the terror he emigrated to holland returning to paris in seventeen ninety six to find his sumptuous mansion despoiled may the eighteenth seventeen ninety nine he died leaving a fortune of two hundred thousand dollars besides numerous claims against the french nation and the united states an interesting parallel could be drawn between the rivals and the school for scandal on one side and on the other the barber of seville and the marriage of figaro and there were also piquant points of likeness between sheridan and beaumarchais but sheridan with all his failings was of sterner stuff than beaumarchais he had a loftier political morality and he served the state more loyally yet the two comedies of beaumarchais are like the two comedies of sheridan in their incessant wit in their dramaturgic effectiveness and in the histrionic opportunities they afford indeed the french comedies have had a wider audience than the english thanks to an italian and a german to rossini who set the barber of seville to music and to mozart who did a like service for the marriage of figaro 
from the barber of seville outwitting a guardian rosina's lover count almaviva attempts to meet and converse with her by hoodwinking dr bartolo her zealous guardian he comes in disguise to bartolo's dwelling in a room of which the scene is laid enter count almaviva dressed as a student may peace and joy abide here evermore bartolo never young sir was wish more apropos what do you want sir i am one alonso a bachelor of arts sir i need no instructor a pupil of don basilio the organist of the convent who teaches music to madame your basilio organist yes i know him well what a man he is confined to his bed with a sudden illness confined to his bed basilio he's very good to send word for i've just seen him oh the devil when i say to his bed sir it, it's I, I i mean to his room whatever's the matter with him go if you please uh, sir i i was asked uh, can no one hear us it's some rogue what's that no monsieur mysterious no one can hear speak frankly if you can please take the old rascal don basilio asked me to tell you speak louder i'm deaf in one ear ah quite right he asks me to say to you that one count almaviva who was lodging on the great square speak low speak low moved away from there this morning as it was i who told him that this count almaviva low speak lower i beg of you was in this city and as i have discovered that senorita rosina has been writing to him has been writing to him oh my dear friend i implore you do speak low uh, come let's sit down let's have a friendly chat uh, you have discovered you say that rosina certainly basilio anxious about this correspondence on your account asked me to show you her letter but the way you take things good lord i take them well enough but can't you possibly speak a little lower you told me you were deaf in one ear i beg your pardon i beg your pardon if i've been surly and suspicious signor alonso i'm surrounded with spies and then your figure your age your whole air uh, i beg your pardon well have you the letter i'm glad you're barely civil at last sir but are you quite sure no one can overhear us not a soul my servants are all tired out senorita rosina has shut herself up in a rage the very devil's to pay in this house still i'll go and make sure he goes to peep into rosina's room well i've caught myself now in my own trap now what shall i do about the letter if i were to run off but then i might just as well not have come shall i show it to him if i could only warn rosina beforehand to show it would be a master-stroke bartolo returning on tiptoe she's sitting by the window with her back to the door and re-reading a cousin's letter which i opened uh, now now let me see hers handing him rosina's letter here it is she's re-reading my letter since you've told me your name and estate ah oh, the little traitress yes it's her writing speak low yourself won't you what for if you please when we've finished you can do as you choose but after all don basilio's negotiation with a lawyer with a lawyer about my marriage would i have stopped you for anything else he told me to say that all can be ready to-morrow then if she resists she will count wants to take back the letter bartolo clutches it i'll tell you what we'll do we will show her her letter 
and then if necessary i'll even tell her that it was given to me by a woman to whom the count is sacrificing her shame and rage may bring her to terms on the spot <laughs> calumny eh my dear fellow i see very well now that you come from basilio <laughs> but but lest we should seem to have planned this together don't you think it would be better if she'd met you before count repressing a start of joy don basilio thought so i know but how can we manage it it is late already there's not much time left i will tell her you've come in his place um, couldn't you give her a lesson i'll do anything you like but take care she doesn't suspect all these dodges of pretended masters are rather old and theatrical she won't suspect if i introduce you but how you do look you've much more the air of a disguised lover than of a zealous student friend really don't you think i can hoodwink her all the better for that she'll never guess she's in a horrible temper this evening but if she'll only see you a harpsichord is in this room amuse yourself while you're waiting i'll do all i can to bring her here don't say a word about the letter before the right moment <laughs> it would lose all effect if i did it's not necessary to tell me things twice it's not necessary to tell me things twice <laughs> he goes at last i've won oh what a difficult little old imp he is figaro understands him i found myself lying and that made me awkward and he has eyes for everything on my honour if the letter hadn't inspired me he'd have thought me a fool ah how they are disputing in there what if she refuses to come listen if she won't my coming is all thrown away ah there she is i won't show myself at first rosina enters there's no use talking about it sir i've made up my mind i don't want to hear anything more about music but my child do listen it is senor alonso the friend and pupil of don basilio whom he has chosen as one of our marriage witnesses i'm sure that music will calm you oh you needn't concern yourself about that and as for singing this evening where is this master you're so afraid of dismissing i'll settle him in a minute and senor basilio too she sees her lover and exclaims ah hey hey what is the matter pressing her hands to her heart ah oh, sir ah oh, sir she is ill again signor alonso no i am not ill but but as i was turning ah oh. did you sprain your foot madame yes yes i sprained my foot i i hurt myself dreadfully so i perceived looking at the count the pain really makes me feel faint a chair a chair there oh, and not a single chair here he goes to get one ah oh, rosina what imprudence there are a hundred things i must say to you he won't leave us alone figaro will help us bartolo bringing an armchair wait a minute my child sit down here oh, she can't take a lesson this evening signor you must postpone it good-bye to the count no wait my pain is better to bartolo i feel that i've acted foolishly i'll imitate you and atone at once by taking my lesson oh such a kind little woman at heart but after so much excitement my child i can't let you make any exertion so good-bye signor good-bye to the count do wait a minute to bartolo i shall think that you don't care to please me if you won't let me show my regret by taking my lesson i wouldn't oppose her so if i were you 
oh that settles it my love i am so anxious to please you that i shall stay here all the time you are practising oh no don't uh, i know you don't care for music it will charm me this evening i am sure aside to the count i'm tormented to death count taking a sheet of music from the stand will you sing this madame oh yes indeed it's a very pretty thing out of the opera the useless precaution why do you always sing from the useless precaution there is nothing newer it's a picture of spring in a very bright style so if madame wants to try it looking at the count with pleasure a picture of spring is delightful it's the youth of nature it seems as if the heart always feels more when the winter's just over it's like a slave who finds liberty all the more charming after a long confinement always romantic ideas in her head sir did you notice the application Zooms! he sits down in the chair which rosina has been occupying rosina sings during which bartolo goes to sleep under cover of the refrain the count seizes rosina's hand and covers it with kisses in her emotion she sings brokenly and finally breaks off altogether the sudden silence awakens bartolo the count starts up and rosina quickly resumes her song a little later in the scene don basilio enters figaro in the background <gasps> don basilio good heavens figaro the devil ah welcome basilio so your accident was not very serious alonso quite alarmed me about you he will tell you that i was just going to see you and if he had not detained me senor alonso figaro stamping his foot well well how long must i wait two hours already wasted over your beard miserable business but, but, but gentlemen will you please tell me you can talk to him after i've gone but still would you'd better be quiet basilio do you think you can inform him of anything new i've told him that you sent me for the music lesson instead of coming yourself the music lesson alonzo rosina whispers to basilio do hold your tongue can't you she too let him know what you and i have agreed upon sir now basilio don't contradict and say he is not your pupil or you'll spoil everything ah ah indeed basilio your pupil has a great deal of talent my pupil i came to tell you that the count has moved i know it hush who told you he did of course it was i naturally just listen won't you is it so hard to keep still <laughs> the sharper he's deaf who the devil are they trying to deceive here everybody seems to be in it well basilio about your lawyer you've got the whole evening to talk about the lawyer one word basilio only tell me if you are satisfied with the lawyer with the lawyer haven't you seen the lawyer eh no i haven't seen the lawyer do you want him to explain matters before her send him away you are right but what made you ill all of a sudden i don't understand you count secretly slipping a purse into his hands yes he wants to know what you are doing here when you are so far from well he's as pale as a ghost ah i understand go to bed dear basilio you are not at all well and you make us all anxious go to bed he looks quite upset go to bed i'm sure he seems feverish go to bed why did you come out they say that it's catching go to bed i'm to go to bed all of the others together yes you must 
oh indeed i think i will have to withdraw i i don't feel quite as well as usual we'll look for you to-morrow if you are better i'll see you soon basilio devil take it if i understand all this and if it weren't for this purse all good night basilio good night oh, very well then good night good night the others all laughing push him civilly out of the room from the marriage of figaro outwitting a husband the scene is the boudoir of young countess almaviva the rosina of the previous selection she is seated alone when her clever maid susanna ushers in the young page cherubino just banished from the house because obnoxious to the jealous count here's our young captain madame the title is a sad reminder that that i must leave this delightful home and the godmother who has been so kind and so beautiful ah yes ah yes just look at his hypocritical eyelids madame make him sing his new song she gives it to him come now my beautiful bluebird sing away countess does the manuscript say who wrote this song the blushes of guilt betray him madame i i tremble so ta 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 come modest author since you are so commanded madame i'll accompany him take my guitar cherubino sings his ballad to the air of marbrook the countess reads the words of it from his manuscript with an occasional glance at him he sometimes looks at her and sometimes lowers his eyes as he sings susanna accompanying him watches them both laughing countess folding the song enough my boy thank you it is very good full of feeling ah as for feeling this is a young man who well cherubino tries to stop her by catching hold of her dress susanna whispers to him ah you good for nothing i'm going to tell her well captain we'll amuse ourselves by seeing how you look in one of my dresses susanna how can you go on so susanna going up to cherubino and measuring herself with him he's just the right height off with your coat she draws it off but what if someone should come what if they do we're doing no wrong but i'll lock the door just the same locks it i want to see him in a woman's headdress well you'll find my little cap in my dressing-room on the toilet table susanna gets the cap and then sitting down on a stool she makes cherubino kneel before her and arranges it on his hair goodness isn't he a pretty girl i'm jealous cherubino you're altogether too pretty undo his collar a little that will give a more feminine air susanna loosens his collar so as to show his neck now push up his sleeves so that the under ones show more while susanna rolls up cherubino's sleeves the countess notices her lost ribbon around his wrist what is that my ribbon ah i'm very glad you've seen it for i told him i should tell i should certainly have taken it away from him if the count hadn't come just then for i am almost as strong as he is countess with surprise unrolling the ribbon there's blood on it yes i was tightening the curve of my horse this morning he curvetted and gave me a push with his head and the bridle stud grazed my arm i never saw a ribbon used as a bandage before especially a stolen ribbon what may all those things be the curb the curvetting the bridle stud oh, what white arms he has just like a woman's madame they are whiter than mine never mind that but run and find me some oiled silk susanna goes out after humorously pushing cherubino over so that he falls forward on his hands he and the countess look at each other for some time then she breaks the silence i hope you are plucky enough 
don't show yourself before the count again to-day we'll tell him to hurry up your commission in his regiment i already have it madame basilio brought it to me he draws the commission from his pocket and hands it to her already they haven't lost any time she opens it oh in their hurry they've forgotten to add the seal to it susanna returning with the oiled silk seal what his commission in the regiment already that's what i said and the bandage oh when you're getting my things take a ribbon from one of your caps susanna goes out again this ribbon is of my favourite colour i must tell you i was greatly displeased at your taking it that one would heal me quickest and why so when a ribbon has pressed the head and touched the skin of one very strange then it can cure wounds i never heard that before i shall certainly try it on the first wound of any of my my maids i must go away from here but not for always and now you are crying at that prediction of figaro i'm just where he said i'd be someone knocks on the door who can be knocking like that open the door heavens it's my husband where can you hide open the door i say there's no one here you see but who are you talking to then to you i suppose hide yourself quick in the dressing-room oh after this morning he'd kill me if he found me here he runs into the dressing-room on the right which is also susanna's room the countess after locking him in and taking the key admits the count you don't usually lock yourself in madame i i i was i i was gossiping with susanna she's gone pointing to her maid's room and you seem very much agitated madame no not at all i assure you we were talking about you she, she's just gone as i told you i must say madame you and i seem to be surrounded by spiteful people just as i am starting for a ride i am handed a note which informs me that a certain person whom i suppose far enough away is to visit you this evening the bold fellow whoever he is will have to come here then for i don't intend to leave my room to-day something falls heavily in the dressing-room where cherubino is ah madame something dropped just then i, I didn't hear anything you must be very absent-minded then somebody is in that room oh, who do you think could be there madame that is what i am asking you i have just come in probably it's susanna wandering about but you just told me that she went that way this way or that i, I, I don't know which very well madame i must see her come here susanna she cannot pray wait she's but half dressed she's trying on things that i've given her for her wedding dressed or not i wish to see her at once i can't prevent your doing so anywhere else but here you may say what you choose i will see her i thoroughly believe you'd like to see her in that state but very well madame if susanna can't come out at least she can talk susanna are you there answer i command you don't answer susanna i forbid you sir how can you be such a petty tyrant fine suspicions indeed susanna slips by and hides behind the countess's bed without being noticed either by her or by the count they are all the easier to dispel i can see that it would be useless to ask you for the key but it's easy enough to break in the door here somebody will you really make yourself the laughing-stock of the chateau for such a silly suspicion hm, you're quite right i shall simply force the door myself i'm going for tools sir if your conduct were prompted by love i'd forgive your jealousy for the sake of the motive but its cause is only your vanity love or vanity madame i mean to know who is in that room and to guard against any tricks i am going to lock the door to your maid's room you madame will kindly come with me and without any noise if you please he leads her away 
as for the susanna in the dressing-room she will please wait a few minutes countess going out with him sir i assure you susanna coming out from behind the bed and running to the dressing-room cherubino open quick it's susanna cherubino hurries out of the dressing-room escape you haven't a minute to lose where can i go i don't know i don't know at all but do go somewhere cherubino running to the window then coming back the window isn't so very high susanna frightened and holding him back he'll kill himself ah susie i'd rather jump into a gulf than put the countess in danger he snatches a kiss then runs to the window hesitates and finally jumps down into the garden susanna ah she falls fainting into an armchair recovering slowly she rises and seeing cherubino running through the garden she comes forward panting he's far away already little scamp as nimble as he is handsome she next runs to the dressing-room now count almaviva knock as hard as you like break down the door plague take me if i answer you goes into the dressing-room and shuts the door count and countess return now madame consider well before you drive me to extremes i i I beg of you count preparing to burst open the door you can't cajole me now then i will open it here is the key so it is not susanna no but it's no one who should offend you if it's a man i kill him unworthy wife you wish to stay shut up in your room you shall stay in it long enough i promise you now i understand the note my suspicions are justified will you listen to me one minute who is in that room your page cherubino the little scoundrel just let me catch him i don't wonder you were so agitated i i I assure you we were only planning an innocent joke the count snatches the key and goes to the dressing-room door the countess throws herself at his feet have mercy count spare this poor child and although the disorder in which you will find him what madame what do you mean what disorder he was just changing his coat his neck and arms are bare the countess throws herself into a chair and turns away her head count running to the dressing-room come out here you young villain susanna comes out of the dressing-room eh why it is susanna what a lesson i will kill him i will kill him why then why don't you kill this mischievous page count to the countess who at the sight of susanna shows the greatest surprise so you also play astonishment madame why shouldn't i but perhaps she wasn't alone in there i'll find out he goes into the dressing-room susanna i'm nearly dead count returns no one there so this time i really am wrong you excel at comedy madame and what about me sir and so do you aren't you pleased you found her instead of cherubino you are generally pleased to come across her madame ought to have let you rake in the doors call the servants yes it's quite true i'm at fault i'm humiliated enough but why didn't you answer you cruel girl when i called you i was dressing as well as i could with the aid of pins and madame knew why she forbade me to answer she had her lessons why don't you help me get pardon instead of making me out as bad as you can did i marry you to be eternally subjected to jealousy and neglect i mean to join the ursulines and but rosina i am no longer the rosina whom you loved so well i am only poor countess almaviva deserted wife of a madly jealous husband i assure you rosina this man this letter had excited me so i never gave my consent what you knew about it this rattlepate figaro without my sanction he did it eh and basilio pretended that a peasant brought it crafty wag ready to impose on everybody you beg pardon but you never grant pardon 
if i grant it it shall only be on condition of a general amnesty well then so be it i agree but i don't understand how your sex can adapt itself to circumstances so quickly and so nicely you were certainly much agitated and for that matter you are yet men aren't sharp enough to distinguish between honest indignation at unjust suspicion and the confusion of guilt we men think we know something of politics but we are only children madame the king ought to name you his ambassador to london and now pray forget this unfortunate business so humiliating for me for us both won't you tell me again that you forgive me have i said that susanna ah say it now do you deserve it culprit yes honestly for my repentance giving him her hand how weak i am what an example i set you susanna he'll never believe in a woman's anger you are prisoner on parole and you shall see we are honourable end of section twenty six recording by alan wayman